Blog Talk Radio. This is Susan Swanbeck, CEO of the ATU Network. This work is protected by Creative Commons licenses. For the next two fun-filled hours, get ready to learn something new, be inspired, enlightened, spooked, helped, laugh, cry, and be awakened. And now, your host of Awakening the Unknown. You never know what these two will be up to next. So please welcome Susan Swanbeck and Michelle hey Sullivan. Hey there, oh there. Hi everybody. We got an awesome show going on here. And as we keep going with this, we, we keep improving more and more in 2020 with the new program. So it's absolutely going to be amazing. 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 You should be able to hear our guests who are kind of, well, here, here, comes, here he comes. You should be able to hear our guests now. I've got a new chat box up, so... The man of the hour, Mr. Carl L. Johnson guy, a man of many talents and many ventures. Oh, wait, many wait, 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 here we go. <laughs> God, so it's been a while. It has been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. So how you doing? This is how long did you start your show? Was you? You were our you were the first guest on when we started with the rift. You were our last guest on with the rift. Then our first first guest on AQ Network. That's right. Three years later, here we are. And then again, the first of last year, and now you're on this year again, on the first, on the first month of the year, two twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much has changed for you. So where yeah, do we even yeah. start? Quite, quite a lot, personally, yeah. professionally. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, demonology-wise. How mm-hmm. has the Shadowrun's Demonology Handbook been going? Uh, it, it has stories of sales. It's been doing well. Good. It's been doing well. In we, fact, I... Yeah, I'm sharing the uh, residuals with my co-author, Lana. Yeah. And, um, yeah, she wrote about half of the book. She was supposed to write, uh, I was going to have her write an introduction. Right. Right. You know, write a little essay. Write, you know, something. She ended up writing half the book. (laughs) That's a woman for you. (laughs) That happens. I have some very fun chapters. In that book, such as uh, Beware Those Dolls. Yes. That's, that's kind of my favorite chapter. It's an easy read, I think. The whole design of Shadow Realms is to have a, a reference book, a handbook that you can stuff in the backpack and bring to the field. Right. On more investigation. Right? So, I read it all in one day. I read the entire thing in one sitting. Thank you. Oh, that's important. Awesome. <laughs> I would recommend it to this day. I think I was just speaking to some, I think it was last Wednesday's guest. Who are a very up and coming, very young. Yeah, very nice group. couple. Very nice young yeah. couple in the town. Recommended couple. your book to everyone. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the one and only demonology handbook in existence. Well, yeah, I, I didn't know that at the time. I mean, I don't view that as a definitive work on demonology. I just thought it was something like, here's where things work for me. Sometimes it didn't go as well. I wish I had more experience to approach the situation a different way. Right. 
So this is, it is a new year. Can you give everybody an update about, like, Carl Johnson? Where you grew up, a little bit about your history, which we know this, but a lot of our newcomers don't know this. And then you have to be half of a twin duo. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm half of a twin duo. Uh, my brother Keith and I were actually a zygote together. I do have an identical twin brother named Keith, who is also a demonologist. He takes more of a religious approach. A demonologist of faith, whereas I tend to be more history and pragmatic in my approach. It doesn't mean he doesn't take the practical side. Right. He relies on faith more than I do. Sorry about this. I have like bees running all over my desk. What's that running on your desk? Bees. All of a sudden, the bees. All of my crystal bees. You're doing your jewelry, and now they're just uh, a folder guy destroying them. Yeah, literally. So now it's like I have to pick them all up, and now I'm stealing the bag off. Talk about paranormal. Literally, just everywhere. And of course, the red tiger's eye, right? Yeah. Well, you get your red tiger's eye. That's important. Yeah. yeah. That's red tiger's eye. That's all over. Insight. Huh? Yeah. That screams out negative influences and provides you with insight. Yeah, I like, I like, the, I like the red tiger's eye. The blue tiger's eye is good, too. Uh, but the red tiger's eye gives them more. Um, it only works, I mean, I know the truth for you, but it works with the bottom three chakras as well as help giving that bit of uh, protection into it, too, and it stimulates um, the positivity as well. So I like that. I'll stop talking about me now. I know it was very strange. I think they said, Poof. Yeah, that's like, I'm like, what the heck? The spirits know. The spirits know. How did you get into these gems, and, and are they uh, overall a positive influence in your life? I believe they are. I'll interview you. I... I, um, well, as everybody that knows me knows when my husband died, I needed something and I decided to do the radio. Mm-hmm. So, and then I decided to do the radio and I said, oh, I know who would be fun because I get very muddly. So, of course, I had to have Michelle. <laughs> I'm the rebel. I'm the rebel. No, and that's what you need. You need somebody to look like calm and somebody looks like over the top. It just makes yeah, you you're so. Yeah, you Michelle is a comedy. Yes, yes, yes. She's, she's actually... My husband was like nonstop hysterical, made me laugh every day. And Aww. Michelle brings what I lost. Aww. So every day she yeah. makes me laugh. So, and then all of a sudden she made one mistake. She goes, check these people out. Yeah. She goes, you run a business. We could buy wholesale. That was a downfall. Now, I introduced you to Crystal Wholesaler, and yeah. that was it. That was it. It's that been downhill it. from there, and then I stopped <laughs> wrapping my own wire jewelry. I mean, literally, I just kind of picked this up. Yeah, static on the sound, by the way. Yeah. Where? Static on our sound. All right. We're okay. probably a little loud. Okay. Now, I got it. Now, you need to start yeah. with me, like, from the beginning, okay? Because now, <laughs> this is our very first Zoom. So we have a very handsome Mr. Carl Johnson on camera now. Everyone is getting a chance to look at you. Um, and actually, just right, usually yeah. you're just a sound. You're just audio. You're just a voice. So <laughs> it's amazing that we actually get to literally practically kind of talk face-to-face. But before we get into all the other things, I wanted to ask about the um, what you have coming up for Saturday. Um, I know that's a very, very popular event that you have going on with the Edgar Allan Poe this Saturday coming up. One of my uh, heroes of literature, Edgar Allan Poe, such a moody fellow. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, on Saturday, 
I'm going to present, this is going to be in the North Situate Public Library in North Situate, Rhode Island. And uh, it's going to be a series of poems, the poetic work of Edgar Allan Poe. It's not going to be reciting the stories, it's going to be reciting his poems. Oh. It's not going to be so ponderous a program as we've had in the past. So just sticking to uh, nine poems. But you're so great at pondering. You don't have to yell, dear. Because when you yell, i got to adjust him up, you down, you down, him up. You want me, though, you're just fabulous at pondering. Pondering, I've seen it all. Oh, my God, though. But just today, I came across an amazing story that I don't think we've ever found out about you. And that is literally... Oh, really? That's an amazing story about me. About you, about your family. I did not know that... Is it your grandmother, great-grandmother, who actually was in the same room as H.P. Lovecraft and Harry Houdini? That's very true. It was my mother's mother. Wow. And she was at, uh, I don't know if it was called the Strand then, uh -huh. but uh, in downtown Providence. H.P. Lovecraft was ushering. Wow. Uh, my grandmother was in the audience. So by Harry Houdini and the magician and escape artist. Uh, in fact, my uh, my grandmother was part of that audience participation. He called on her and asked her a question. Nobody knows what the question was. Oh, wow. Uh, so that was the night that H.P. Lovecraft met Harry Houdini and started ghostwriting for Harry Houdini. So that was a pivotal night in uh, both areas, Houdini and Lovecraft. Do you think that could have contributed to your love of literature, though, Carl? Do you think that's kind of where it all kind of came from, from back in the day? Oh, I'd like to think so. I'd, I'd like to think I, you know, inherited something from my ancestors that's valuable. That is an amazing story, though, to have actually a family member be in the same room mm -hmm. as epic, epic. Uh, yeah, did you know I am a cousin to H.P. Lovecraft? What? It, my first uh, reading about H.P. Lovecraft was a biography of Lovecraft. It was the biography of Conrad Camp. Um, I read that in preparation to a tribute, to the literary tribute I was organizing, uh -huh. to uh, promote this event of recognizing the 50th anniversary of H.P. Lovecraft's passing. I realized there was nobody in the state of Rhode Island, the very state city in which he lived most of his life, nobody was getting any kind of commemoration. Uh, right. So I undertook to do that, and I researched H.P. Lovecraft to write an article to promote this event. And it was during that reading that I discovered I am related to H.P. Love, my brother and sister are related. They're second cousins to H.P. Lovecraft, which is pretty close. That is very close. Research, I found out I was more closely related than I guess. Wow. Yes. So, yeah, my life is intertwined with H.P. Lovecraft. That is so amazing, though. Mm -hmm. I know this is another random question I have for you. Have you ever tried mm -hmm. doing actually genealogy on you, like that, that test that they do, like the to check your actual heritage? You check me for Lovecraft DNA? Yeah. Well, I, do, I, I would have brought it if I had known we were going to get into that. <laughs> I, actually, I'm 10 minutes away, but then I'll be gone for about 20 minutes, so it's not worth it. No, but no, 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 no. Yeah. I have a genealogical chart tracing my family branches, my family ancestry, and connecting me with H.P. Lovecraft. That's and it is pretty close. That is very close. I my mean, mother's maiden name was Place, and H.P. Lovecraft Grandmother's maiden name was Clay. So, yeah, and they are they were cousins. That's amazing. My grandfather met Joe Clay, who was one of that direct family. So, I mean, very close to Lovecraft's cousins. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't write all these 
pedigree, but I'm not opposed to Congress. It's stronger to flatter that I'm related to this guy. Absolutely, though. That is that is oh, just an amazing thing. Yeah, I had to keep pulling the mic away from oh. you. Okay. Uh, because they say static-y? when you lean closer in your chair, okay, you get very staticky, and we're working off the same mic, and it's okay. closer to me than you. All so. right, just correcting a little bit of a sound issue. When I'm looking at it, I can see it right there. It makes you look very professional. It's a Blue Yeti. It's one of the Blue Yeti mics. I like the Yeti. <laughs> so now tell us, so what is the new adventures? What are all these exciting new things that you have coming up? Well, I'm very proud to be a member of Panorama Paranormal. Yeah, I... Yes, now that, uh, that name is coined by Elise DeMarco Carlson, who is the director of Panorama Paranormal. And what makes this group unique is one thing, it's just herself and me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not limited to ghost hunting or demonology. We will explore anomalies, mysteries, be it uh, anomalous think folders. Wow. Uh, people that have you know, strange criteria, strange ramification, um, e- e- ufology, you know, strange past language. Wow, that's so fascinating. How well, long have you been? Uh, Elise is doing, i got to shoot her horn, Elise is doing extensive research on a cold case that dates from 1815. I'm, I'm sorry, 1915, it's not that cold. Wow, that's cold. 1915. Yeah, that's pretty cold. Judge Knowles, who lives in Johnston, Rhode Island. She's, you know, the Johnston Historical Society. Mm -hmm. And she's uncovered so many interesting rivulets about this case. It it is an unsolved case. It can be kind of dry because it was so long ago. Right, right. How long have you guys been Panorama Paranormal? How long have you been? How long has Panorama Paranormal been in existence? Panorama Paranormal started uh, less than a year ago. Okay. It was born around uh, June, May and June. It was being developed in 2019. Do you remember what your first case was, you and Elise? Well, we made our debut at Ocean State Paracon in Harrisville, Rhode Island. And I would say our first, although we've been to Nine Men's Misery and which is in Cumberland, Rhode Island, and a number of other places that we pan out. Well, I think I catalog our first case as being Round Top Farm in Harrisville, Rhode Island, better known as The Conjuring. The Conjuring House. Yeah. You've seen that, that film, The Conjuring. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Lisa and I have been there a number of times together, and we've explored that house and interviewed the new homeowners. Did it seem strange to you, Carl, to go back to that house after all those years? I have a history with that house, yes. It, it makes me nostalgic. It doesn't seem oppressive or ominous. It's just like, you know, yeah, I, I can remember that. 46 years before. Wow. 46 years. That, that's like a flashback there. It looks so much the same. Wow. It really doesn't change. What was the feelings like, though, when you walked into the house? Were you kind of just hit with, with like, back in time? Like, it's like that's Oh, yeah, mixed emotions, you know, uh, kind of nostalgia, excitement, regret, all colliding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, I have paranormal experiences because I go to where the ghosts are, mm-hmm. but I'm not that impressionable or anything psychic a person. At least I can't set it on and off. But, and if I see something, it needs to be empirical. I need to actually 
encounter. Right. But I went to a mirror and what they, they like to call the seance here. The dance right. hall. But uh, it was where a seance took place. It was guided over by the rain warrant. They're going to the rain. Right. Rest in peace, Maureen. My goodness. Yeah. And uh, there's a mirror hung up in there. The mantle over the fireplace. I went up there to that mirror. When, and this was last, uh, it was last July. I did this. I went and looked in that mirror, and I saw myself at age 18. Not just dim lighting or anything. My hair was longer. I just looked young. I looked. At, I was 18 years old again. I was looking at myself. I blinked and looked into that image that's still there. Can you imagine the letdown when I went and used the bathroom in the mirror? <laughs> One of them shot ahead. I, no, it's not even. Yeah. Oh, my God. Life. You kind of saw your I own hippie that self. That was a genuine experience. I really, suddenly, I was 18 again. Oh, my God. That is amazing. So you actually saw yourself with the long hippie hair and everything from back in the day? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you a picture of me from back then? I, yeah. Trust me. I do my research car, believe it or not. I was a good-looking young guy. <laughs> <laughs> and that reminded me. Angst. I felt angst. You yeah. know. Like, come back. Let me look in the mirror again, please. Let me look, keep the mirror. Keep yeah, the mirror. I don't think it'll work if I pulled anybody over. I'm telling you, look. Uh, look at me. I'm 18. I'm so handsome. Look. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't want to exaggerate. I'm just saying I look 46 years younger. So wow. That has had to be an improvement. <laughs> You're funny. Now, did you go just you and Elise for this investigation, or did you bring anybody else along with you? Well, it depends on the time. We are a panorama, so it's a, essentially it was just herself and me. But uh, we um, brought uh, Betty. I heard that she's a conservator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we introduced Betty and Eastman, who chief to uh, to the homeowners. And there were always other people around us. Right. Brought, you know, hosting us. It's amazing. Oh, oh well, yeah. Now you, now you have a link to the seance that took place there at the conference. Really? And that was the first seance that had been conducted there in 46 years. The oh. first one was conducted, presided over by Lorraine Warren. The second one was myself. Oh, my goodness. And it's like trying keys in a lock or trying a combination lock. We're trying to hit on the formula that brought off this activity or well, the activity was there, but it kind of helped it surface all those many years ago. So what is that episode of Ghost Adventures, their Halloween special, the two-hour special, their whole premise was replicating our original investigation that took place in 1973. Wow. How close, how close was it actually, Carl? How close was it to getting, getting it to that? I'd say thing? very close in that we produced the same results, or maybe the results were just there waiting for us. One primary manifestation was black. I can't even call it a form. It was just a blackness. It's uh, amorphous. It's like something had been cut out of a picture. It was the absence of light, and it travels like a big caterpillar. It goes up and down the stairwell through the hallway. Now, that had been my unique experience many years ago. Uh, But then Corey and Jen's son, Iris, bought it. Uh, so this black thing, and it disturbed him. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we did that ghost adventure episode, which was, of course, documenting an actual investigation. That was awesome. The other, I saw it again. I was left alone in that room, and I saw this. I didn't, I wasn't even sure I was going to report this to anybody, because people respect all the people black. 
camera was on when I told the other guys we both did the scene. Oh. And, well, it was filmed. It was thought and actually displayed on the episode of the And other people saw it. So whatever this blanky thing is, it's still there. Okay. Uh, when I first saw that, I was upstairs at the then of course, the parents' house, and it uh, just seemed to billow down the hallway. My first thought was that there was a fire in the house. I was waiting to smell smoke. That's how definite it was. Wow. That's amazing. Then it just vanished. I can't even say the exact moment it vanished. It was just gone. So I knew it wasn't smoke. Did you feel like it was something ill-willed towards you guys at all? Did it feel... No, I did not. I didn't feel any emotion associated with that. And it didn't seem to any sense. But uh, from, apart from that, what we saw, what I saw, from the time we stepped into the, actually got out into the driveway, got out of our cars and walked up to the house, uh, I felt we were being watched. We were being scrutinized by something unseen. Now, I couldn't wow. check that. Right. Right. But nothing directly associated with black and it was a few of the babies that we couldn't so there was no footage taken at all? Nothing was able to be captured? Oh, my word. If I had it to do over again, a picture, we had a lot of pictures from that original investigation. I'm talking about August and September 1973. I don't know where they are. Oh. We have like two. Wow. But of course, we were taking pictures and recording. The cassette tapes are gone. Oh, my goodness. We don't know. We didn't know if there was anything within for it that we'd want all those years later. Right. Yeah. Oh, I know. We do have a question in the chat room, though. Um, there's a question from Brenda Hickerson. She wants to know, have you ever, have you guys ever brought anything back with you from the house, from the Conjuring house? I don't know. I don't think from that house. Other places I have, they don't. It, when I have brought an attachment, we'll call it, it right. never seems to be as severe as it was at the original setting, and it doesn't last long. It's huh. a little difficult. Having said that, uh, I recorded my first EDP ever. I didn't know what an EDP was, electronic voice phenomena. I didn't know the spirit voices or disembodied voices could be imprinted in audio recording. Right, we didn't know that at the time. No, was, not at all. I remember the date. It was August, August 23rd, 1973. I was in my parents' house in the basement with a friend. We were recording some music in conversing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played back the recording. Not trying to capture anything unusual, and a spirit voice or something came out in me. Wow! And it sounded it was it sounded as though it was in slow motion, saying, "Someone help me!" Wow! So I listened wow. to it, and I said, "I said to my friend Mark, that saying, someone help me.'" Yes. And his recorder could speed it up and set it up to a certain accelerate to a certain rate. Huh. You hear a female voice, and it says, "Carl, help me." Oh, I no, I remember that. Yeah, I remember. No, because that was in our nascent investigation of the Conjuring, what became known as the Conjuring, Right. I was investigated that at the time. I had been there within several days of that recording. I've had to wonder if there was some kind of connection. They hadn't heard the music. Don't know. So, no, maybe there was something. Maybe I did bring something back and it spoke to me. However, that basement in my parents' house had the apparition of a female. She looked like a woman, so I always see her. Oh, I see. Not unknown. No conclusions, no remedies for that. Don't know what it is. So, for instance, nowadays, if you happen to bring something home, you whip out the demonology handbook, maybe? <laughs> you take some butt? I pray and I stay away for a while. <laughs> 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 
very smart thing to do. Yeah, really I have that. heard of investigators do that where after investigations they don't go home. They go oh, somewhere right. else. Yeah, I'm not too fond of recording the EVP in the place where I live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I've been at it so long that it's just a, a bummer when you can explain it away, you know, you can have find a rational explanation. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just fun. It is I always fun. want it to be the ghost. Yeah. Is that why you that is that why you're now getting into more of the supernatural stuff and more of the cryptozoology stuff? Do you think that's part of it? Do you think you've kind of accomplished what you've already wanted to accomplish? You are going to be done with that, you know, like exploring spirits and human entities. Because there's always more to learn and of course for every answer you think you have you have three or four more questions. The thing is, but that's the whole concept of panorama paranormal. Uh, not confined to anything that has to be necessarily supernatural. It's strange leaning, but yes, cryptozoology, uh, ufology, that's all, all comes under the umbrella of the paranormal. Mm. That's Our right. Normally accepted and understood. Yep. Standard academia. Wow. Well, yeah, it's not limited, so we have more options to look at things. We have somebody in the chat room that would like to know if the Conjuring House is the worst one that you've ever been into. And yes, he's talking about the same Conjuring Conjuring House that was based on the movie. Carl and Keith Johnson were the premier first demonologists in there and invited Lorraine and Edward. They're the ones that got them involved in that in the first place. So is that, would you consider the Conjuring House the worst house you've ever been in? Haunted? No, there have been two others that were, uh, one was worse than the Conjuring House, the other one was kind of parallel with it as far as level of activity. And, um, wow. Conjuring um, House was interesting, to be sure. It seemed like the scariest place while we were there, and this was all new to us. Because, you know, we didn't know what to expect in the house. Now we kind of do. Right. Um, what to anticipate. Uh, but then you didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, the scariest thing to me is like turning around and seeing an apparition or closing a door in like the medicine cabinet uh, in the bathroom and seeing an apparition in the bathroom. It's, it's the scene that you find in movies. Right. Uh, that's kind of too scary. You know, we don't know if that was going to happen. Know. It's kind of like uh, an element. It's not too scary, but there, were, there, were, uh, there was one that had as much activity. That was in Coventry, Rhode Island, 12 years ago. There's another one that happened way back in 1980, and that was uh, far and above the most challenging experience. Uh, and they're asking where, like, where was that, and can you tell them a little bit about the worst one you were involved in? The worst one? Yes. Yeah. I can say where it was in Mess. The people are no longer residing there. That was in the west end of Providence, Messer Street. Oh, okay. What they call the Armory District, and it was a case of genuine demonic possession. Wow. Uh, what did you encounter there, Dr. Carl? What, what, did, what happened? An entity that was taking over the mind of a boy of age 14. And uh, he would have fits, for, and he didn't remember them afterwards. Another another presence, another personality took over him and made him do insanely things, injure himself. Oh, wow. uh, now, my first thought was he had some form of epilepsy and then properly diagnosed. So I was invited to stay overnight. Even then, I had a reputation as a paranormal investigator who came to ground in a trying situation. That's right. So they invited me to stay overnight. And it was nerve-wracking, the thought of it, but I wasn't expecting much. 
time was it? It was about 1 in the morning, about 1 a.m., and I was reclining on the sofa, nodding off. I thought I was just going to go to sleep and, you know, ask him about how he felt overnight. Huh. His bedroom was next to the next room over. Wow. And uh, so that took some nerve to do that at first. Because you don't know what. <laughs> it's a human element. It's, you know, inhuman. Right. All right, at 1 o'clock, I, I was just nodding off. I suddenly heard this shrill scream. Blood dribbling scream. Wow. Uh, it was the boy in his room. He was seeing me as if he was being played a lot. Wow. I reached over to the wall and to get the wall switch. Turn that on and uh, turn on the overhead light. When I did that, this boy's bedroom door swung open, like about that speed, and uh, nobody pulled it. It just opened, and his body came sailing out of there. It was spinning on the top. He was trapped in a fetal position, oh, and wow. his body was screaming off the wall. Wow. This is no epilepsy seizure. And he was screaming also. He was aware of what was happening. Wow. Then his awareness left him when he left up on the couch where I had been laying, jumped up and started to jump up and down and slap his hands and this deep voice and started this demonic, maniacal laughter. Oh, God. And then he jumped at me. And of course, I recall this very vividly. Wow. And he jumped at me. I grabbed him as he was jumping, you know, pulled him down to the floor. And uh, I put my 200-pound weight to, to pin him down. He pushed me right back, and uh, I noisily went into the coffee table. And uh, then uh, this is all within the span of perhaps a minute. Uh, it seemed a lot longer at the time. Because of the screams, his other family members came into the room. And he started crying and shivering and calling for his uncle. So... Uh, an expulsion, which is a form of minor exorcism, was arranged for the next week, and I participated in that. And while it was horrendous, horrendous experience, it succeeded. It seemed to drive the spirit away. Now, of course, uh, it's, it's psychological ramifications. Yeah. Paranormal. Right. He had found this boy had found a glove in a nearby cemetery, so he brought it home. Uh, love disappeared, but that seemed to be the start of this episode. Oh. Now, you could say maybe this is all a grand uh, manifestation of his, something he had suppressed. He was 14 years old in adolescence. Right. However, that wouldn't explain why religious pictures were pulled off the wall like an unforced yeah. down. I don't oh. see how his body could have supported a move at that speed. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. He knew things about us that he shouldn't have known. He seemed to, the entity seemed to be using uh, our weaknesses against us. Uh, oh, my goodness. I was almost taken over at one point. I could feel something in the back of my head. It was like fingers and tingling, but the onrush tension, emotion that was just not fine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I concentrated on my own sense of self and you know, wouldn't let it direct. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then whatever this force was pulled out of me. At that moment, it seemed to go to a, a young woman in the next room because this woman fell on the floor and started screaming and pulling her hair. Oh, my God. I just wouldn't let it take over me. I, I could do that, but it was, I could feel it. Right. So that, this 
lasting over two hours. That was going on there. And I was not going to work. He's going to be just the same after this. But so he, he was better. He had one instance, this young man, about a month later, his parents were driving by a church in the western province. He started to scream when they went by the Catholic church. After that, nothing else. Hmm. Do you think at that point the, the demon completely just left him, left him alone after that? I do. I do. It resolved something. He must have had some inner conflict going up, and I think I know what that was rooted in. But I think that's how the conflict presented itself, it projected itself. Okay. Now, did that create the demon, or did the demon come in as a residual from that glove? Uh, we don't know, we'll never know how it really started. But I believe it was rooted in his psychological conflict. Now, have you seen him, like, recently, recently? Have you checked in with him? Or? How, how was he growing up after this whole situation? Yeah. Oh, he seemed all right. He had some rather strange avenues of expression, but, uh, yeah. you know, going out to nightclubs and out late. And, uh, that was, you know, a few years later. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen him since, uh, since the 1980s. Wow. I uh, tried to look him up but under his name. There are so many others come over. I found some references to him, but not enough to find. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. I'd like to talk to him about it. Let's see if he remembers it. See if he has any. Uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious. Yeah, that's, I'd be curious about that, that too. Finding out what does he even remember about that time and what, hmm? what does he feel now knowing that he had gone through that? How much do you even remember? Exactly. Yeah. How did it affect him psychologically as he was growing up as an yeah. adult? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can make a movie out of his story. Yes, yeah. you could. It's popular, or at least a television episode. Are you sure this is not the Exorcist story? <laughs> it has similarities. I tell you, if I had pulled Ed and Lorraine Warren and gotten them into that, then it would be a movie now. That's right, yeah. right? But you've, yeah, done, you've been doing so much wonderful work just getting, helping people get all their paranormal experiences out there with the networks, with the shows, with everything you do. Um, we actually have an interesting kind of turn of events in the, in, the, in the chat room. People would like to know what was the funniest thing that's ever happened to you on a case. Well, that's different. Yeah. Funny. Funniest. So many funny things happen. Some I really shouldn't even speak about. <laughs>
pondering, yes. Thanks for Rhode Island Pilots. Okay, we would try different experiments to go to some interesting places. We want to see a, an abandoned church on Brown Avenue in John. Oh. Organ music would have mentioned this, this church, this chapel. And uh, that's kind of Oh. But we were doing a seance at, uh, in Roberts Hall in the foyer at Rhode Island College. And uh, somebody lit, okay, we were in darkness. And so somebody, well, we had a candle thing. <laughs> somebody moved that candle over to my brother. And I showed a flashlight on him. And he, he, he had this expression on, just, his pupils were just little dots. Oh, God. And, and some people, if they said, oh, look, oh, they were startled. <laughs> Something about the way he looked struck me funny. Really? And I was yeah. trying not to laugh because the laugh had ruined the thing. Right. So I'm like, hmm. oh my God! Look at I'm trying to suppress this laughing. <laughs> my brother, he had this funny expression on. You know, I just, I, I started, I started it was comical. So I, I finally had to pretend I was just, well, look, Carl's taking over something, something. <laughs> so I was just like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they thought I he was like getting to You ever been in a, like a church where you try not to laugh? That's what it was. Oh, gosh. It's it's a funeral all the time. Service. It was a seance. It's just something the way that my brother did the And the way his hair was. It just was funny. <laughs> other story. Yes. Do tell. Everybody know. would like I don't to know. know if, uh, Inquiry minds would like to know your funniest Happening right. on a cake. Funny oh, story. All right. Yay. Okay. I remember doing jello shots a few years ago in uh, out in Bellingham, Massachusetts. Oh, that was you, Michelle. That was me. <laughs> the barbecue. That's right. <laughs> that was at the graduation party. Yeah. yeah I was, that was Believe it or not, guys, I was yeah. there too. I just don't stand out as much. Oh my goodness! I was forgetting about that, Carl. Well, that all it was because her her mouth and tongue and lips were red and yours were green. <laughs> green from the Jello oh, shot. Sure. No, I didn't do Jello. You didn't do Jello. No, I don't drink. Oh, I didn't green lipstick on. No. All right, that's another story. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't drink at all. <laughs> okay. But that barbecue, I drink. I drink more. Jello shot, perfect. Okay. Well, what happened was, I was at this case, which was a scary situation. It had a serious mode to it. And this was in Brooklyn, New York. I was then a member of the Atlantic Paranormal Society. Yeah. This was a year before Ghost Hunters. Okay. Wow. So that puts it in 1993. Hmm. Oh, it's been that long already. Wow. Yeah. And while we were talking about the series, it was in the works. It was in pre-production. Uh, Jason Hawes, Grant Wilson, uh, Brian Conwa, for different members of the cast uh, crew back then, and my brother Keith and me and his wife Sandra. Mm-hmm. His wife Sandra. So, um, well, we, we were there quite a few times actually. And strange things, oh, I, I could do a whole show just on what happened there. Wow. Serious and intriguing things could transpire. But, oh. It was the funniest? Yeah, it's the funniest. I was involved with somebody at the time. Okay. Who lived in that? I was actually the lady at the house. Oh, okay. When things happen, you know, sometimes comments right here. And 
uh, yeah, so she and I, it was during the paranormal investigation. Uh-huh. Serious stuff. And she and I were, uh, you might say we were smooching downstairs. We were, oh, naughty, yeah. naughty. Well, I'm giving you the PG, but it was, no, it was just kissing. It was, I don't know. Oh, you were getting naughty at an investigation yes. with the lady yes. at the it's house. a long time ago. You go. What? You started it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, you know, because there was this tense, you know, we're in this paranormal investigation. It was an air tension. We just found ourselves in a clinch. Uh-huh. And, you know, we're... We were taking advantage of the, we were in the basement, the haunted basement. Oh, jeez. Okay, one thing led to another to another. Oh. All right, I, I, I thought this would be quick. Oh. Well, it was quick. <laughs> at the most inconvenient time, you might say, the door opens to the basement, right? Oh, and there's God. a light on over the stairwell. The door opens up, and there's a noise of... Oh, up, and you see this shadow coming down. It was Brian Hamor, who's been a member of PATH, and he has a cross, and we just see his shadow coming down the stairs. We're, we're holding a cross. Oh, like I'm watching his shadow, and we're like, you know, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you, have to, you have to imagine this. And I can picture it. And stairwell. You see the cross coming down here, or the shadow coming down, like the whole holy image. Wow, talk about getting caught with your pants down. Naughty, naughty. Naughty, naughty, Carl. Bad boy. Oh my God. Don't buckle in Bob's sweater. Wow. I think I was in my cat's uniform. Oh my goodness! In your tax uniform, no less, I huh? Thought, I thought I'd get fired for that. I thought I'd get. Oh, oh my that's goodness! Funny. Who could ever fire you, Carl? Come on now. Oh, somebody in the audience just said you were out of your tax uniform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technically, yes. <laughs> All right, now that is the funniest story. If I went into detail, it would be even more funny. But if you can just picture the door opens unexpectedly, and then, you know, you see the guy that's coming down. The head is doing something that's close to it's like, damn! You were literally caught in the head of a position on that one, Carl. Oh, no, we were laughing about it later and all that. It wasn't general knowledge of what happened. Right. Fortunately. Well, it is now. Hey, what the heck? It's know, Carl. Carl 
goofy. You can't be serious all the time. You gotta lighten that up. So, you know what I mean? Like Demonology is a kind of a dark thing. You gotta like kind of get light and funny about all that stuff. Oh yeah, um, there was a lightning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because oh you're fucking Carl. You're the demonologist. You showed the mirror. Oh, Elise. Elise. Ah. Yeah. No, she's she's laughing at you. Now tell us more about Elise, though, and and panorama, panor- paranormal, because you now it's not just the ghost stuff, but. What is what's been going on as far as your your work with the UFOs and with Bigfoot and what is what's been coming up of that between you and Lisa and Panorama? Exactly. You know, we can't do a lot with Bigfoot or UFOs because that's you know you can go where they've been sighted, but you can't really. It's not like calling a spirit or you know striking a response for either the, uh, the Bigfoot or the UFOs are there or they're not. And right. uh, we've talked to people, interviewed people who have had those experiences. And I was a member of a Bigfoot research team one time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, in fact, I haven't told you yet, but I'm planning to bring a lease to where a Bigfoot was sighted. Oh. I haven't been in a hurry to do that because it is exceedingly unlikely we're going to see the creature. But I have heard it, and I've heard it walking. Really? One to where people have actually seen it to the exact spot where it was sighted. Wow. Is that local to us, Carl? Actually, uh, on the edge of Bellingham, Massachusetts, it's part of the Bridgewater Triangle, the edge of the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh. Cumberland, Rhode Island. Cumberland, Rhode Island had its own Bigfoot pocket. That, that makes you I had a group who was researching them. So your big, the evidence that you caught on Bigfoot was that you literally heard them with your own two ears walking. That's amazing. Yes, and there's somewhere in my archives, I'd have to find it, there's a... A DVD, a documentary of one of our Bigfoot expeditions where we actually found the track, uh, just series of pictures, and um, you can hear or rather not hear how silent it becomes when you get into the Bigfoot territory. And I say I can't even hear insects. There's something has over paranormal activity. Sometimes you don't hear squirrels, you don't hear insects, you don't hear the uh, noises of the woods. And that's unusual, right, in itself. Yeah. Yeah, because you couldn't hear any cicadas or anything up in this, you know, where this creature was. So, uh, and, and I was with the late Rosemary Ellen, Ellen Diley, so she's part of that investigation. Oh, gosh.
I didn't run away. Good. I walked very fast, but I didn't run away. <laughs> That's yeah. good. That's uh, I did shine my flashlight into the past, but I, I wanted to get out of there, and so did my two team members. And we waited. I did not, I really didn't have the nerve to walk further down it. We mm-hmm. waited, and uh, it was something that louder. So we were in mutual agreement we should leave. We wanted to disturb its environment. Right, right. Um, and later, uh, Matt Moneymaker, who was the lead investigator of the DFRO, finding Bigfoot. Uh, he told me in person that that's how the Bigfoot was searching. And Bobo Faye was telling me about they heard Bigfoot do that. They stopped. The males will drive away with human men. Oh, my goodness. They're, you know, asserting themselves and uh, like a primate would do. But something very large and heavy had to have made that sound. Wow. So I heard it. I heard something that could not be explained away. If it was kids, you know, perpetrating a hoax, so maybe they would be screaming and making grunt noises, or they'd be throwing things, and they couldn't have made that kind of sound. Right. right. They'd be growling. Something, yeah. That something sound. It was one male, single bigfoot. So we were uncovered with it. It was likely there were two rogue males, and I believe they come down from the Whitehall area, um, on top of New York. I'm down from Canada going to New York State, migrate down to New Hampshire, take a little turn through Vermont, and they end up in Rhode Island. Oh. Only during the warmer weather. Oh, really? There is why they migrate down summer, but they're only there in that region from when we were investigating. They seemed to be only there from May to November, the beginning of November. Then we didn't find the tracks, hear them, see the bent trees. Finding the evidence. So, have you fascinating at the time they were doing this for two years. That's noted uh, Bigfoot authorities too, and I'm aware of our research. Have you had another opportunity to go back there, Carl? Well, I haven't had the interest to, you know, because I just have a feeling I'm not going to see it. Right. Of course, you're not, definitely not going to see it if you don't go where the Bigfoot is. <laughs> it's just so serious and so unlikely that we find something. I had a team there, so. Yeah. We were having fun with it. It was interesting research. It was valuable research. That is amazing research. Bigfoot in Rhode Island. I've got to ask you this, though. What? Yeah. Did you please give us a Bigfoot howl? What? A Bigfoot howl? Yes, please. Give us a great old big Bigfoot howl so everybody knows what a Bigfoot howl is, is actually. Okay, but it's, just, it's more effective outside. All right. Get those lungs ready and let it rip. Oh my God! <laughs> that was here. That was here. The underwear is right off. Well, it, does, it does kind of a fluctuation in its voice, and you know, it does almost like a Tarzan joke. But uh, it, it, it has built to a crescendo, and it's it, uh, that wasn't the loudest I could give, but you get an idea. Okay, oh I think I got it. That is frightening, though. Oh, my God. All right, I think I got this, guy. so I'm hoping you don't get shattered anymore. How did it come to be that how you found out that that was what the howl was like? Did other investigators already prior, like, have they already heard what the howl was? Or is that something that, where did that stem from, the howl? It's been recorded. Okay. I haven't heard the howl. I've heard noises that might be a vocalization. 
you believe that they actually actually eat food while they're here? Like they actually consume? Yeah, I think they're on kind of a diet when they're down here. They don't like eat the same kind of salt, but right. I think they can subsist off of prawns and fish. Yeah, I don't think they like chocolate chip cookies or I bring some donuts, Oreos. You know, you know what I mean? Like I bring some donuts. Nothing like that. <laughs> we are actually very at, we are at the top of the hour, guys. Yes. We are at the top of the hour, so we're going to take our short five-minute break. So stay tuned with us, Kyle. I'm going to mute your mic, transcend over so nobody can see us but you. And just so you know, there is a camera on you right now. So don't go getting all naughty now, okay? Because <laughs> everybody's watching you. I had to. But we're actually going to be right back right after this. <laughs>
Carl Johnson. And don't forget to uh, check out our sponsor, Susan Swanbeck ACU, for all your crystal needs. And we are back without further ado. Well, I actually have more questions for Panorama Paranormal. Um, what, what is the, like, you guys do all the preternatural and paranormal stuff. So what is your take on the vampire theory in Rhode Island? Oh. Well, um, yes, uh, Rhode Island has the dubious distinction of being the vampire capital of America. Right. All vampire cases per capita in this state and anywhere else. Right. Uh, there was a big superstition in the 18th and 19th centuries. It was a kind of a pandemic. It was actually based in tuberculosis consumption. I call it the vampire. Oh. Um, and for whatever reason, numerous graves were exhumed, the bodies taken out, and uh, hearts excised, livers taken out, stakes drawn through the heart and stomach uh, to, to pin down the, the demon and become a vampire. The corpse that had become reanimated to death. You might think we're talking about medieval Europe. Right. Yeah. Rhode Island. Like. Yes, this is 19th century Rhode Island. There was a tuberculosis clinic in Providence at the time in the 1880s and 1890s. Huh. But there was enough of an element of the supernatural to warrant the panic. Because it wasn't just that family members were dying in rapid succession. They were wasting away, coughing up blood, which is, of course, symptomatic of tuberculosis. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what they could do about it. Um, but family members reported seeing their deceased loved one, the one who died first, coming to their bed, sitting in the moon. See, they could see her in the moonlight sitting at the edge of their bed. I'm talking specifically about the case of Sarah Killingham. Oh, um, there was a grave of a, a man whose uh, his body, when they exhumed the grave in the 20th century, uh, the bones were crisscrossed like a felon at uh, And he was suspected to be the vampire. That was the remedy to exhume the bodies and desecrate them or dismember them, wow. especially to take out the heart and the liver. Ron Stoker in 1897 he published Dracula. Yeah. He had, for his research, he had clippings of the case of Mercilina Brown in Exeter, Rhode Island. Wow. Mercy Brown is one of the most famous. Mercy Brown, yes. And she was exhumed in March of 1892. That was the same year as Lizzie Borden visited. We're not talking ancient history. Right. There were starting to be vehicles on the road. The roads, there were advances in medicine. These were civilized times. But right with superstition, at least in those isolated areas. Wow. And even now, if you go to these graves where the vampires are, you can kind of imagine this hysteria because you feel eerie, you feel strange there, you feel unwanted, you feel foreboding. Uh, Is it weird because I want to go now? <laughs> yeah, but from what I suspect, we were in the cemetery last week uh, where Millie Vaughn. And she was not suspected of being a vampire during her life, but there was a misnomer. She was, she was misassociated with Mercy Brown. And, uh-huh. and then that caught on. 
What strange, haunting things have happened in that cemetery, number two of West Greenwich Road? Oh, really? So, yeah, there's still uh, the remnant of vampire lore, at least you remember it. I don't think there's going to be another vampire pandemic. <laughs> it's remarkable if there is. But you never know. Maybe they're hiding with Bigfoot. <laughs> right? They, they well, have a the smoking some marijuana so together. Robert, Robert uh, White in our chat room says that he heard that they look, it's that they head. took the head, stuffed their mouth with garlic and salt, and then wrapped the head in some type of material and placed it into running water. Well, that happened with at least two of them. Uh, yeah. Nice. Good catch, Robert. Any modern day vampires? Let me research. Yeah. Is there any... about Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Not as much in Massachusetts as it was in Connecticut and Rhode Island, but the concentration was in the little state of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Huh. So that's something that Panorama Paranormal has been researching vampires. Nice. So what is, what is Dan Arrow? What, what has Panorama Paranormal come, like, come up with that year? Have you found any modern day vampires? No, but we've gone to the graves of these vampires. Ah. out and looking at more of them. You don't believe... Well, you know, they have a sense of import of the history of what actually transpired there. But there were actual excavations. The bodies were desecrated. Well, they didn't call it desecration at the time. It was conceived of as a remedy. Wow. Where the mouths were stuffed with garlic. Wow. If you read Tom Stokes' Dracula, a lot of that lore, vampire lore, and what actually happened, is incorporated into his book. And there were similarities, like Harfax Abbey in Dracula. He yeah. procures through Jonathan Harkins real estate. He procures Harfax Abbey in Exeter. Ah. Uh-huh. The Rhode apparel. Oh. There's Selena Brown. Her concert part in Dracula is Lucy. Lucy Western. Right. No kidding. <gasps> that is so crazy. That's awesome, actually. <laughs> cut off her head. Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't oh, about Vlad Dracula. It wasn't. It was partly that story based too on Vlad Dracula in Romania. Was that? Yes. Yeah, Bram Stoker did base his character on a real living and once living and breathing person, Vlad Tepes, a Wallachian nobleman, huh. who uh, was known as Dracula. Dracula. Wow. Was the his father was a warrior uh, known as Dracula, the dragon. Right. Oh, and so would be there with oh. the dragon. And so his, his son, Lysetish, was Dracula, and he had a horrific lifestyle himself. His oh, wow. legend, his story, is, is almost as bizarre as his and perhaps it supersedes the vampires. Interesting, no. Ways, as far as being terrible. What the gravity he indulged in. Yeah, he's recognized in Romania as a natu- national hero. Really? Even though he beheaded people? With his life, the one portrait. And the description of Dracula in the book is based on Vlad Tepes' one portrait. portrait. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so this is another legend based in two. Amazing. It gives me goosebumps, though, because, I mean, we come across it all the time now. I always say it. Every single thing has a truth. Everything was based. In the truth. Well, the stories actually have to come with somewhere. From somewhere, yeah. So, and a lot of things do are that that you think are actually based on truth. Mm-hmm. So now, is it true that he used to um, drink the blood of his victim? That was another one that was based on it. Yeah. It's alluded that he did. Um, 
what we know for a fact was that he would entail his victim. Tepesh means entailer. Right. That was his favorite method of execution because it instilled terror in his enemies. The church, uh, the Ottoman Empire, the church would invade what's uh, now Romania, and uh, one insurgent on the, an army came into uh, to conquer what Romania is, Latvia, and they found 10,000 bodies entailed on state, some of them still living, some of them decaying away. Oh. And they turned around and fled. Oh. The insurgents first. To strike fear in their hearts, in other words. Yeah. Then the general said, who can prevail against such a man as to do this? Oh, wow. The Dracula dined among his victims as they were dying on state. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's idiosyncrasy. It's amazing. It's amazing. We have actually the same question twice in the chat room. Today. Okay. Um, everyone is curious if you've ever come across a case that was actually fake. They called you into a case and it was actually fake. Well, it's, um, it's been more like a wishful thinking and imagining. Like if you did not accept that the house was not wanted, that's that's occurred. Right. Um, I was involved in a very interesting case where there was a blending of genuine paranormal activity, overt paranormal activity, oh. objects flying, being propelled across the room. Oh. But they were for, uh, staging things too. I guess they wanted to have a television episode. Oh gee. Oh. A movie made about them. They didn't need to take things. They had the most interesting EDC I've ever heard. And they, when I say EDC, that's the plural. You know, the EDC. What was it? Do you remember, Carl? Yes. What was it? <laughs> um, well, it was a house in Coventry, Rhode Island, and the couple uh, had gone out for the night. And uh, she let us investigate. I was with the team on Four Seasons Paranormal. They called me in. It was my experience. Right. And, uh, well, we were trying different experiments. We knew the place was haunted because we'd seen objects flying around, crashing against the wall. Mm-hmm. We heard the disembodied voice. So they really didn't need to fake anything. They they already had activity going on of their own. Just going on. So uh, we were trying to grab the team leader and I gone. Uh, I asked her, Dawn, say, ask if it misses the girl. I don't need to say her name, but I asked uh, the lady of the house, ask if it misses her. And the children and the couple were out. Uh, so she asked, do you like her? All right, I'll call her team. Okay. Okay. That's yeah, not good. And it says, do you like yeah. You like Tina? You want Tina home? Right. Then I'm listening to the recording. I, you know, it was an overnight event to like two in the morning. So just right. before I'm going to bed, as I'm going to bed, I'm listening to the recording. I've got 90 minutes of audio recording. Then towards the end of that recording, you hear Dawn say, I'm, I'm saying, answer the question. And Dawn says, do you like Tina? You want Tina home. Then I heard this gravelly voice that's whispering. So I, I played it back. I turned up the volume. It's a man's voice. And it says, oh, yeah, I'd like to boil Tina. Oh, oh, geez. I can't play it for you because I don't have the recording. It's not mine. Right. Yeah. 
the woman, I remember one time one of our team members, Laura, she kept exotic birds, and Tina had two love the lady of the house had two love birds, but they cage the very nice she should keep. So uh, Laura was scraping the cage and cleaning it, and she said to the birds, how you doing, baby? Okay, I'm recording everything. When I play that back, I hear Laura say, how you doing, baby? And hear the woman's voice say, dying. Birds and dying. Wow, my goodness. In less than two weeks, both of those birds had died. Both of them? Both of them had died. They caught some kind of avian disease. Both of them had died. But they weren't being kept well. Oh, wow. So, all these things. And that's just a snippet of what was happening in this house. Wow. Uh, I was sitting in a chair and uh, talking to the homeowners. And my chair with me in it moved all the way back across the room. Wow. wow. My goodness. Second time that it happened to me. <laughs> uh, I don't know why it was singling me out. I was kind of flattered that it did. Aww. Or something. I was told in a, we were in the master bedroom, which was a sense of paranormal activity, and I just happened to turn to my right. Things happen when I look to my right. <laughs> and uh, this knife, like a kitchen knife, sailing down the hallway. It wasn't tumbling. It was just sailing down the hallway. Oh my and it, I was holding it in a remote thermograph to hit the instrument I was holding, not my hand, to hit that and drop on the floor. <laughs> Whoa. I picked it up and showed Tina. She said, oh, my God, that's not one of my knives. <gasps> oh, Another God. time in that bedroom, uh, well, within a couple of days of that, it, wow. uh, a dinner plate appeared over my head. I didn't see it until it cracked. But oh. It just floated over my head and there, smashed noisily on the floor. Wow. Oh, wow. Oh, and I turned down and started picking up the pieces. I said, somebody have a plastic bag? I want to save these pieces. Property. I said, Tina, this is damp and warm. What, what does that tell you? And she said, Oh my God, that's from my dishwasher, which is two rooms away. Wow. wow. And it would have to open the dishwasher. Yeah. Now, why didn't this become a television episode? Why wasn't it made into a movie? What was the thing about it? Because other people found out that Carl was involved in this show, and that, that's the interesting episode. <laughs> and, uh, other teams were looking for the new Amityville Hawk. Ah. So they started getting calls, getting requests, and saturated with people coming over. Right. Yeah. After a while, they just they were driven out of their house. And they wow. no longer wanted the recognition. For that. Ah. I was younger than them. You know? I mean, they had only. The house was 20 something years old, like 26 years old. Wow. They'd been there for two years. They were driven out after four years. What part of it was, were they faking, Carl? Were they, like, planting evidence, or were they... Over- there were some suspicious-looking photographs that, you know, looked like uh, might have been something set up. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, now, this was the time of 35-millimeter cameras? I made up my mind about the glass chandelier that was swinging. Uh, that could have been a two years old when it was pushing. Yeah. Uh, I see. But there, there were enough things. Wow. Uh-huh. So these, these guys, not only do they find out what's going on in your house, they find out if you're trying to fake what's going on in your house. Yep. Well, that's the first thing we do. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do with Panorama Paranormal. That starts with the interview process. Mm-hmm. I figure out if these people are hallucinating or willfully projecting this. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, Mental illness. What I generally find is there's some psychological trauma that's excited this. But 
know, I my other now, because now you're paranormal. I can't even say it. Panorama paranormal. I got asked you about this. What about angels? Have you ever come across an actual angel or a story of an angel or hmm. just like mm-hmm. literally investigated a story about an angel? That's a good question. Um, you know what? Angels don't get as much press as the demons. Right. I mean, uh, uh, yes, I have, but angels fascinate me because they they seem every bit as real as the darker spirits, the wicked spirits. Um, I knew somebody who, uh, well, it was this Laura uh, that I mentioned was uh, in this case in, in Bombay, case in Coventry, and she was looking for a little statue. She she wanted a chastity for her grandma. Right. And um, she wanted a dancer. Not just a ballerina, she wanted to dance with. And uh, this elderly man, slight elderly man, came up to her and said, what are you looking for? Said, well, I was hoping to find something my grandma that she used to be a dancer. I'd like to have a dance. He said, let me see what I can find. So he went to the back room and came out with this little dancing doll, a dancer doll, all of ceramic. Right. And said, you know, that's just what I'm looking for. And uh, he sold that to her. And I, I think he even said, you don't even need to pay me for it. It was something strange like that. But he sold it or gave it to her. And her grandmother was so happy with that that Laura went back to the store. I don't remember what the store was, but she went back to the store to thank the old man. Oh. And they told her, and this was just days later, and they said, no, we didn't have anybody like that working here. Never did. We're not an elderly man working here. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I think that was an encounter with an angel. Uh, I've talked to other people who were helped out of trying situations by uh, a man or a woman that's just there. And uh, I know of twin sisters. Both of them saw a lady in a gown come into their rooms when they were like, under three years old. Yeah. And they saw her again when they were almost four years old. Mm-hmm. And she would kind of both have the same story. It didn't visit them together. It visited them separately. They were a beautiful woman, radiant woman. Uh-huh. The glow with her own light came into the room and smiled at them. Huh. And so on. Ooh, that's wow. so interesting, though. Have you come across it yourself? Have you come across an angel yourself? Not Elise, an angel. She is an angel, Elise, but another angel. Besides Elise. Well, why would you say that? That's very nice of you. Thank you. Because I, I go with the vibes, Carl. I, I trust my vibes. <laughs> Um, if if I have encountered an angel, I, I didn't know who it was at the time. Uh, I, I think I have had angelic encounters, but I didn't so much see them unless they presented themselves to me and didn't say I'm an angel. Right. Yeah. They don't. They don't usually say that they are celestial beings. They just do a good deed. Yeah. Life can't be there all the time under trying circumstances we don't know. Like demons, they have limitations and they're limited in number. And not mission and they're everywhere. Um, Do you think that the world contains more angels than demons? What's that, please? Do you think the world contains more angels than demons? Oh, how can I answer that? I think they're probably about even numbered. Oh, okay. In uh, Christian theology, theologic tradition, angels were cast out of heaven during the big revolt, and one third of the heavenly hosts. Uh, there's a sense of the lower regions between the devils and demons. 
Well, we don't know what that one third is, or one third of how many. Right. But uh, just the demons seem more prevalent. Angels, you know, maybe they're harder to get in touch with. They have seen a glowing light that was very warm that seemed to be angelic. Right. Though it didn't take on a human form. Is that during an investigation? When, where did you see that light? No, when I was living out in North Situate, out in the woods since I was 14 years old, and I saw something very, very bright, warm. But it felt so, it felt eerie, but beneficent. It was warming, and I felt I was in the presence of an angel. I don't even know if I had my thoughts on that word. Because it was something powerful and very good. Wow. What its purpose was, maybe I just happened to, Welcome to an angel while I was going through the wooden path. There it was. That's an amazing story. Anyway, I'd like to say it was like kind of a bright gold, but it really wasn't the color that we could define. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Oh, it's going to made an impression on me, yeah. Oh, my goodness, that's awesome. Because, I mean, I don't understand why angels would not come to you in any way, shape, or form. Because, you know, you... I just think, um, just like, you know, my personal opinion, that angels don't really want credit for what they do. They just are there. And a demonic presence is like, hey, here I am. Ah, Angels angels are more like the opposite. Angels are more, you know, I'm I'm just, I'm going to do this. You know, it's just. That's why they present themselves as a a living person. Right. They're not dead. Right. Yeah. They have a modesty to them. Yeah. It's interesting, though. They don't force people's hands like a demon. Exactly. Yeah. Has there ever, ever been a story of an angel actually, like, possessing a human? Um, in the case of Marie Rose Farron, oh. our little Rose, she was called, she was a stigmatist and she lived in Rhode Island in Woonsocket. Mm-hmm. And she was born in 1903. She died in 1936. There has been a campaign to have her canonized, but uh, it meets with resistance and the kind of not in the body of people that were molding her teeth down mm. eyes, but she was uh, she was credited with miraculous cures, and she would uh, an angel would speak to her, or something good would speak to her. Right. Oh, that's awesome. And but there's yeah, and that's right. And when Black and Rhode Island, their grave is readily visible. Wow. We gotta make a trip to these cemeteries up in Rhode Island. Yeah, like come around there. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I have to do that. Now the other question is with Panorama Paranormal, have you come across? Any haunted items or done any work with haunted items? Huh. I know like the animal doll or maybe like a, something else, like it's some some sort of item, anything like that? Well, just about anything you take out of the conjuring house would be, uh, you know, the house of Harrisos would have something attached to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Brock gave me a, a basket.
Yeah, the, the goats are usually what they have, right? Yeah, the thought of being, and uh, Bill Brockett has seen that um, the whole white goat that had initially slaughtered uh, each in the state forest. Wow. Yeah. Bill Paranormal is that he was that simple. And Corey Hines, you know, one of the owners of the Congress, he was a member of the Rope and he wrote also the Rope Paranormal. Wow. Uh, but uh, in the paranormal is still getting out there in contact with people. Now, while Elise requested it, Elise found a, a, a dead chicken. Yeah. Uh, chickens usually don't walk through cemeteries and fall over and die. Oh, my God, that's so true. Can she, is she able to come into the camera view? I can see her hiding back there. Well, I could tell the story, but I think she could tell it better. Come on up, please. Join the crew. This is Elise, everyone. The other half of Panorama Paranormal. Ooh, do tell us a chicken story. I'm a fortunate woman. I love chicken stories. Well, I've seen one of the cemeteries in town because I've been in the cemetery. Mowing grass and feeding up. And there was a crypt at this one, and I just go in and check out and see what's in the crypt. And I found a dead chicken in a bag and a roll of pennies. Oh my God! Wow! So somebody is still conducting satanic rituals around there somewhere. I don't know. Hey, that's so sad. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who do who do they all like chicken? Yeah, true. Right. Oh my goodness. Did you pick it up? I used to be involved in ritual magic, but never conducted sacrifices or anything negative. The theory is that you harness its life force by taking its life. When I was younger, uh, the expression I was into was Satanist. Mm It's kind of a flip over to become a demonologist. (laughs) I was acquainted with that dark side of the form of expression. Right. For me, it was experimenting and recreation. I could do any harm with it. Right. I talked to too many reporters. <laughs> yeah, back then in my teens, I was both famous and infamous. Ah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly oh, that the rap from Son of Frankenstein. <laughs> both famous and infamous. So I'm going to ask Elise a question. Elise, what do you see going forward in the future for Panorama Panorama? Like us to get out of the more into Bigfoot country. Bigfoot, yeah. Um, like I said, I work in a lot of cemeteries. Uh, we've got about a hundred of them in town, a hundred uh, historic cemeteries. Wow. And um, I'm even working there, so I haven't spent a lot of time just sitting, listening, feeling, mm-hmm. recording. I think I would just do that. Oh, nice. Um, as you mentioned, I'm researching a story about a judge that was murdered in town about 100 years ago. Wow. So that's an historical story that I like to follow. It's got a lot of twists and turns and characters. And, you know, I can follow court records and police records and newspaper articles. Wow. And there's also a try to just go to the property and try to turn over and why not try to get any information from the court? I know exactly where it happened. Wow, really? And yeah, so uh, I'd like to see that. 
weather just a little bit better. Oh, are you taking the notes? Are you taking notes here, Carly? Are you writing this stuff down? Yeah, I see us doing a lot of different things, and uh, we're not just going to stick to one area. We get residential calls, it's less of going to talk to those people. Sometimes it's part of the village. So, if there's really something going on, there's actually a question in the chat um, they they would like to know if you've ever been somewhere, like you go somewhere and you're on vacation and all of a sudden you turned up and you just go and you're there for vacation, not for like haunting or, or a case, and all of a sudden it turns up haunted. Well, I've had times like that, yeah. Some people find out, you know, like, uh, well, my parents and I were staying in, and my sister and brother were staying in a cabin in Maine. And, uh, they were telling us, we heard from the, People directing it, you know, this this place is haunted. They see uh, see figures walking around the lakeside. Something like that is happening. Right. Which, of course, fostered my interest early on. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You're so curious. And that's like such an important thing that you never lose that curiosity. Now, we know that you've been into the paranormal since you were young. Yes. But what about Ali? Yes. I'm I'm still young, (laughs) sir. Oh, 
degree weather yesterday <laughs> afternoon, so uh, it was very, very well attended this, this past weekend. So, yes, but I, uh, what happened in Slater Hill is I tend to get recognized for my television appearances. Right. Say, Wait a minute, I know that voice. Oh, my God, it's you. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh, oh. So that happens mostly by chance. So you do get people in my day there because they turn on the Right. Well, we, we kind of get the same thing. It's just a little different. Um, they'll say, oh, my God, it's Michelle. It's Michelle. Oh, oh that's the girl that knows all the tech stuff. Go that's the girl her. that knows all the tech stuff. Oh, that's Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Michelle's been to Slater Mill. In fact, Slater Mill has a... And guess what? I was there, too. Yeah. I'm quiet. I, I, just as she keeps talking, no. I make a definite impression, Susan. I know it. Well, we did have a, we did have a great investigation. I think Cody was with us. Yeah, so Cody was with us. So we, we had planned to meet up there with Cody. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I see, I have a problem because of my impact stuff. So I always exactly. think that's why we're making a good team. She's always in the crowd. I'm always back from the crowd. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah, that, that is would true. be uh, that would be epic. 
That would be epic. Yeah, yeah. because then you would get, I would get so overwhelmed, and it would, it would be just be yes, you. Would, but that's valuable. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you feel afterwards if you actually want to wind down from that, but it would be valuable for your children. Yes, yeah. Yep. That's why I just kind of let her do her thing. She knows by my certain look. Yeah. We do have somebody in the chat room that would like to know another question how to protect themselves from demons. How does one protect themselves from demons? Yeah. Yeah, the haunted places. (laughs) (laughs) You have money. But if you do find yourself, or you are a paranormal investigator and you're going to go to these places sometimes, um, the best thing is to is preparation. Have a strong sense of yourself. Do not be deterred from your purpose. Make prior resolution if you're going to follow through on your experiment or your investigation. Um, don't trust what spirits tell you, even if they seem like a good spirit. If it's angelic, you will recognize it. If it's demonic, you will as well. Um, I, one method I use is envisioning myself surrounded by like a, uh, an egg-shaped vellum over me. Ah. And, uh, surrounded by this, and it's silvery and it's glowing. If you project that visualization, it actually becomes uh, real. It strengthens one's natural biological aura. Yeah. And all living things, they even in an object project an aura. That will yeah. strengthen the aura. Just decide that nothing, nothing untoward, nothing evil is going to penetrate, nothing undesired is going to penetrate that. Only exactly. the And it really does work. You can actually be photographed with aura as a can. And prayer, if you have of a, if you're of a faith, whatever faith, um, invoke that faith. You have to have a belief in something stronger than us, something higher than us. There has to be something better than us. Great. <laughs> uh, we and, hope uh, so. We yeah. Hope. So you, you know, meditation, prayer can be incorporated. Just in, most of all, decide that you're not going to be deterred from your good purpose. Not to let it bother you. That's not to say you're not actually going to be scared or startled. Right. But it won't hurt you and you won't take it back with you. Right. Because demons have a reputation of being very powerful. Their power lies in their persistence. Uh-huh. They don't give up easily. Uh-huh. But they're not omniscient, they're not omnipresent. Yeah. You know, they can't eat our thoughts. They can be good guesses. Uh-huh. They can say terrible things and report it. Kind of like an Irish woman when she's really upset. Oh, wait, never mind, that's me. <laughs> <laughs>
Bishop of Dual Demonology, comprised of James Anito, Deacon, Theologian, and Carl L. Johnson, author of Paranormal Researcher, Lay Demonologist. Our central aim is to bring the system of study and ex- exploration known as demonology out of the shadows of superstition and establish it as a legitimate, even scientific, avenue of research. Essentially, demonology encompasses the lore and tradition of wicked spirits, or the more familiar term, demons. Applied demonology involves intervention, seeking to help persons who appear to be affected by demonic attacks. We will at times address those situations which are brought to our attention. We find that in such situations, always present is an element of psychological distress, projections of unresolved conflict and trauma. The problems which emerge, though spiritual, may never be fully rooted in supernatural and tangible causes. Admittedly, we are dealing with what is essentially the unknown. Both spiritual faith and objective evaluation must come together if effective results are to be obtained. How can such a fantastical interest ever be regarded as scientific? Possibly by, if not outright proving the existence of the demonic realm, collecting evidence is suggesting its reality. We need to be real about our approach. Popular paranormal is rife with contrivance, and this, is especially, this especially pertains to paranormal investigations as they are portrayed on television. These days, audiences may be a tad less willing to accept on face value what is presented to them. Still, the trickery persists and continues to take in view. Our heroes of haunt are still at it. The TV shows provide an easy fix. They and their programs can be entertaining, but the session inhibits advancement in the field of paranormal exploration. Amen. Though demonology takes a stand against faking evidence and presenting it as genuine, stands any disclaimer stating the presentation is essentially an entertainment and not an actual study of a preternatural. It sounds like I hate paranormal television shows. And people work for so many years, so, you know, if it's on television, it has to be true. That's, That's why the story of the conjuring, the movie depiction seems to be stronger than the actual blood transpired there, the history of that house. Because people see it up on the screen, it's got to be real. Oh, we can't lie in movies. We can't lie in television. Is that one of your bigger frustrations, you think, Carl? Because you see so much of it. Just oh, yeah, it is. It's, it's discouraging. But everybody has to make up their own mind what they're going to accept as genuine. We have to keep in mind that you are seeing what an editor and a cameraman decide you're going to see. It's a rectangle. You're going to, oh, that's their reality. Anything can be happening behind the camera. To the side. That's not to say I don't like these shows. They're interesting. I had a ball when I did Ghost Adventures. Ghost Adventures, The Haunted. Yeah. Oh, that was my one episode of it so far, but it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was actually valuable. It was an exploration. That's amazing. You just have to be a little careful about what you can't just because something close to the area so you're just inviting things going. It might be a very solid body doing it. It has happened. I hate to say that there have been times when what you see on television is all together paranormal. Right. Yes. Amen. Amen, Amen to that. Hallelujah. Absolutely. My big question. They can be educational and they can even at times be valuable. Well, I mean, you can pretty much take it as it's based, it's based on truth but not correctly 
Yeah, two minutes to go into our limited seconds. So. 
I know. We make it up. Two hours is never enough. No, it never is. We need to go another hour. I know, we could. I'm sorry, I don't know. Well, all right, 15 seconds left, guys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in tonight. And I know, Michelle, she's not going to let this go until we can pin down a date uh, with with Carl to come back with um, Lee. And we're going to have a blast and more conversations and more stories. So, literally, peace out. I'll see you guys Sunday for Healing Sunday Chakra Bowls. And we're going to be talking about the sacral chakra this time, okay? So, let's get some healing done on Sunday. Peace out. Don't forget to check them out. Thanks for tuning in to Awakening the Unknown with Susan Swanbeck and Michelle Sullivan here on the ATU Network. For more information on upcoming shows and appearances, be sure to follow us on Facebook and on the web at awakeningtheunknown.wixsite.com. Voice over work done by Cody Ray Despian.